I don't know whether you should be more proud of us or whether you should just be happy about the fact that we have been around long enough to give you a best of show. But now we're actually back and live, as live as a podcast can be, and in your faces because once again for another week, you decided to click play. Thanks. I'm Unqua Sonia. He's Brian Albin. Welcome back to Award Tour, the podcast. Back at it again with the race and the sports combining and whatnot. Um, feel free to subscribe. We're available wherever you get them. Hosted on Anchor, where you can leave a voice message to nominate an award. And also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, like I mentioned before, wherever else you get them. We would never take a week off unless it was important. And yet today managed to be just as frustrating as any other day. But we might as well at least say hello formally. Dude, I'm glad you're breathing. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's nice to uh, be back here with you. It was seems like quite a week for both of us last week between uh, just your work life being a pain in the butt, sounded like, and uh, you know, trying, trying to move apartments that haven't been cleaned before you arrive and that don't, you know, it takes six days to get an internet route or two. Awkward. Yeah, so... Uh, we're back. It's a new week, and we're here to do it again. And we have a we have an interesting show today. We do. Tell me something I don't know is going to be a surprise to everybody involved, including you. And of course, your awards will come as well. But we might as well, Double. of course, but we might as well start off with <laughs> baseball again. I don't know what it is about starting a podcast, or rather, continuing a project during a pandemic. But it seems like the usual suspects always come back into play. And once again, baseball has decided to, once again, penalize somebody not white for doing something really cool for something really stupid. How stupid? Let me explain. In baseball, there's a very weird relationship between score and what you do offensively because it's very much a reactionary game. Only one side really gets to react against the other, and then the ball's in play, and then, you know, everything's in play. In this particular case, one Fernando Tatis Jr., who Jeff Passan, by the way, wrote an amazing, I mean an amazing profile on the young Padre shortstop. The young Padre shortstop, two nights ago, hit a grand slam with his team up seven. Under any normal circumstance, that would be considered a pretty big deal. And instead, we woke up the day after to news that this was quote unquote a controversy for breaking yet another unwritten baseball rule. I'll unload later because, spoiler alert, award is coming. But, uh, Brian, what, what, what the hell? So, if I remember correctly, it was, what, 10-3 in, like, the seventh inning? That's correct. Eighth inning, something like that. I don't understand any unwritten rule of a sport that says you have to intentionally not do your job as well as you can possibly do it because your team's winning. Like... We're mad because he swung on a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded up by seven runs. That's somehow considered bad sportsmanship or something. 
is he allowed to swing if it's 3-1? Is he allowed to swing if it's 2-1? Why would anybody not expect a baseball player to try to perform to the best of their... Like, it's mind-numbing that this is something that is even talked about as if it is based in, like, some sort of logic. Because the unwritten rules of baseball are so stupid that, like, there, there is no way to even have a serious conversation about this and twist your head in a pretzel without feeling like, what am I even talking about here? I mean, think about all the ways in which home runs and RBIs and batting average define how we view a player. Like, your, your Hall of Fame candidacy might hinge on if you had a 100 RBI season or a 96 RBI season, like having that fifth 100 RBI season versus just 400 RBI seasons could be the difference between whether or not you go into the Hall of Fame one day. So why should anybody ever be taking an at-bat off? How much you make as a free agent down the road could depend on the numbers you produced over the past however many years. Those extra four RBIs in that extra home run, no matter how meaningless it was in the context of the game, could come back to matter down the road. So why do we have some code where numbers are essentially the whole basis of everything that allows us to judge a player that is intended to potentially suppress the numbers of a player based on the score of the game? It makes no sense. And the fact that the part that was crazy about this is that no one should be mad at a player for hitting a home run in the first place, especially not your own manager and your own general manager who had words for him that essentially seemed to be of the ilk of, you know, we don't really do that because you're putting one of your teammates in danger, which just brings you to the next idiocy of the unwritten rules of baseball. Why is it that Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a home run up by seven runs on a 3-0 count justifies somebody then firing a projectile 94 miles an hour behind Manny Machado? How is that something that we have accepted is justifiable and that's the way the game is? Like, it's all so stupid. I don't even know how to... Like, baseball, do you want people to watch your sport? (laughs) Really? Like, do you want people to watch your sport? Because I'd much rather see Fernando Tatis Jr. swing on 3-0 and hit a grand slam than watch him take a strike and then put himself in a disadvantage count and eventually ground into or pop into an out. Like, I'd much rather see something awesome than something mundane. And you're trying to suppress that. It's so idiotic. I can't even even describe it. You know... Sometimes it makes me think about some of the conversations that we hear baseball fans have all the time, right? Like, oh, well, who's your favorite player? And you hear the words Mike Trout a lot. Let me be very clear on what I'm about to say before I say it. Mike Trout is a generational player. Like, period. The production that he's had from... Day one, 
the ability that he has shown in making life easier for the other hitters. Well, when he has actual help in the lineup, like that's unmatched. The problem that I have is that most people like Mike Trout because they consider him a quote unquote blue collar player. They consider him somebody who sort of goes about his business, doesn't make any noise, you know, just just as a man's man type of player. Air quotes all over the place. And yet here comes Fernando Tatis Jr., a second generation big leaguer, mind you. But he, like some of his other ilk in that class, are like, we're here to have fun. And it goes deeper because I feel like we mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but I'll mention it now. If you play baseball in any other country, games are lit. You could be in Cuba. You could be in the Dominican Republic where Fernando Tatis Jr. is from. You could be in Japan, Korea. There are bat flips. There are team songs. The whole stadium is lit. And if you say, oh, well, they're not not real baseball fans. When's the last time an MLB crowd gave a standing ovation for a sacrifice bunt? I literally witnessed one live at the Tokyo Dome. And yet, when it comes to growing the game of baseball, Tim Anderson, the eventual batting champ in the American League, by the way, they spent a whole two weeks talking about why what he did flipping his bat was bad for the game. Why, when he got into a a verbal altercation with the pitcher that tried to drill him, he used the word, and trust me, we could go, we've already covered that. I think that was like three episodes ago when it comes to the N-word where he can say it and his opponent can't. Forget all that because that's immaterial to this conversation. He got punished for being thrown at, and he was the center of a so unnecessary conversation. And it brings us back to the fact that when black and brown players show joy in baseball, everybody gets offended. And it's annoying. Racist, yes, but at this point, you have no other recourse. It's silly. It's stupid. And the fact that this made it a whole 24 hours as a quote-unquote story? I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. So the crazy, but the crazy thing about this one to me is that so like the subtle racism of not liking bat flips, not liking self-expression is one thing. It's not like Tatis pimp trot pimp trotted his home run. It's not like he flipped his bat. It's not like he really was all that expressive. People were mad at him that he hit a home run on a 3-0 pitch up by 7. Like to me, that doesn't even have anything to do with race. I imagine if Mike Trout did the same thing, swung on 3-0. No one reaction, would say anything. I'm you don't think anyone would say nobody anything? Nobody would say anything. Because I feel like the that. unwritten rules of baseball get applied to people no matter who it is. No, no, I think they get applied. 
to no matter who it is in stuff like that. Like if a white dude stole a base up by eight runs in the seven inning, like he's getting thrown at. I don't think that's something that you get a pass on based on race. I could be naive. I could be ignorant on that one. But like the part that's crazy to me about this is that none of this had to do with expression or joy. Like he did his job. He was in a hitter's count. And if you just neglected the score, like if it was 4-3 and he hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch, nobody would have been mad. Everybody would have been going nuts in the dugout and celebrating with him at home plate because it would have been a huge thing. The fact that the score is what dictated the reaction is stupid. You only get so many at-bats a game. Every at-bat counts to these guys. Why should he not try and do his best? It's what I don't under. It's why it, it's super wild. It's really wild. But the thing about baseball rules being applied arbitrarily, we see it all the time, just in the way that players are described, right? Somebody like Brett Gardner is hardworking, wily veteran, black player in the same situation is toolsy, hasn't quite hit his stride. I mean, Juan Pierre got dogged for most of his career despite having elite speed. And he was never given the respect that he would deserved despite the fact that not only did he win a title, but he was one of the best defensive outfielders out there at least as far as covering ground went. The thing that really irritates me about this whole argument is the fact that everybody decided the kid was wrong. Everybody. You mentioned it yourself, that his own manager didn't have his back, his own general manager didn't have his back. Tim Anderson might be the only player I saw, and I could be wrong, He was the only player that I saw when FTJ eventually apologized for whatever. He said, dang, I really wish he didn't apologize. I really wish he didn't apologize. Trevor Bauer did too, to his credit. I'll give him credit for that too. I'm with that. Trevor Bauer said, you have like, pitchers are supposed to get outs. You're supposed to get hits. You have got nothing to apologize for. So the question I would ask you, I guess, to try and, just is the counterpoint. Bryce Harper. If he did that, do you think he's not getting the same treatment? Nope. Because I do. I think Bryce Harper for the most part is Bryce Harper is one of the most hated baseball players in baseball, at least in my perception. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Bryce Harper doesn't fit the Mike Trout mold of just bring your lunch pail to work and keep your mouth shut. Like Bryce Harper has gotten chewed out for not running it out to first base. He's gotten chewed out for not always uh, conducting himself in the outfield the way you're supposed Like it, he, he gets some of the criticism for not fitting into baseball's traditional mold of what you're supposed to be. 
So I, I do think that the unwritten rules of baseball and their stupidity go beyond race. I think they are influenced by race because the gatekeepers were white and of a certain generation. And I think that that makes it something where white dudes who grow up idolizing or respecting that may be more likely to accept those rules as like facts of life and things that they should absolutely respect and listen to. Whereas people who grow up playing the game somewhere else where it is free from those rules, they get up to the big leagues and it doesn't make that much sense to them. Like, I, I, I definitely think race plays a role, but at the same time, I don't think race prevents. Like, I imagine white dudes who did the same thing as Tatis did would have gotten chewed out the same way. And it would have made just as little sense then as it does now. Because at the end of the day, he did nothing wrong. Did the San Diego Padres sign him up to get a hit every time he steps up to the plate. That's what I think they intend for him to do. I intend if he could bat 1000, they would choose for him to do that as opposed to batting just three something, because you know, every now and then he respects the game and gets an out. (laughs) Like, what is that? You know what? Here's what's so weird. I'm so glad you brought that up because it brings to mind another thing that I just sort of thought about, you know, how in high school, if you're up by 30 by halftime on the basketball side, your coach probably does some things differently, puts in a different lineup, you play more zone or in baseball, you tried out a kid that could really use some work on the mound, all that sort of stuff, right? That starts to go away in like college and further up. What I would like to know is why in the world we are so focused on other competitors' feelings if this is supposed to be a job. If this is supposed to be a place where competition is beyond necessary, I would really love to understand how all of a sudden being up by seven is far enough. Are we going to put a mercy rule in baseball now? Exactly. Like they should, if this is going to be what we're talking about. And if this is going to be something that gets dudes thrown at, we should have a mercy rule because seven runs is nothing. This isn't basketball. We're like, if it's a 13 point game with five seconds left in some dude, when the defense of the losing team has just backed off and is letting you run out the clock, you go throw down a tomahawk dunk. Like, that's a level of terrible sportsmanship because it is the, they're letting you end the game. But like in baseball, that's not possible. There's 27 outs. It doesn't end until a team gets 27 outs. And I have seen plenty of six run, seven run innings in my life. So why should San Diego not be able to pad their lead when they still have six outs to get? Like, it's just stupid. All I'm saying is I would have loved to see what would happen if Eric Hosmer or Will Myers did the same thing. That's a hill I'm willing to die on. I think you're going to be uh, counting on Bryce Harper to get you the answer to that one because I think he's your best hope. Fingers crossed. I'm ready. I'm ready.
considering the percentage of baseball we have given you in the first 10 episodes or so of this show, <laughs> we're probably going to stay away from baseball for the vast majority of the remainder of this show. And let's flip things over to the more joyful side of things. A good old game of tell me something I don't know. In case you <laughs> have not played before, I will ask Unqua to tell me something about himself that I don't know yet. He will do the same of me. And normally the way we would structure this is we would pre-approve a question to one another before we start the segment. But today it's going to be straight freestyle. I am going to ask him a question, whatever I want, and he's going to have to give me an answer and he's going to do the same to me. And so I'm going to flip it to something we don't do too much. I'm going to uh, flip it to the realm of politics, because if you don't follow the show, we record on Wednesday nights typically. And on this very Wednesday night, it is the Democratic National Convention where Kamala Harris, a black as well. Why am I blanking on this? She, she's part Asian too, right? Yep, part Indian. Okay, for I don't know. Whoo, that got scary. <laughs> oh that no, that got scary. I was like, I'm about to misidentify this woman, and I we can't have that. Nope, not on kay. today. Not on. Okay, semi dodged a bullet. It only hit me in the thigh. <laughs> Arteries were missed. <laughs> Gonna be okay. He's too much. <laughs> half black, half Asian woman, first ever to be a nominee for a major party vice presidential position. You have gotten to live to see a black president, something that many Americans, past and present, weren't sure they would ever do. But now this is a moment in time where we have our first black woman in a potential position of major power. When you found out that she was going to be the vice presidential nominee alongside Joe Biden, what were your emotions? Very mixed. Very mixed. And I'll start to answer this by making very, very clear that uh, the current occupant is no bueno. And if you disagree on that, you can just turn this off. It, it is what it is. Whether you want to make it about political ideology or flat out ineptitude for the doggone position. Yeah, like that's all bad. We're at a point where just about anybody and I do mean anybody could do a better job. And it is not. I would say. That representation, although it matters, can't be the whole story. I think for the the, the fact that 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 Kamala Harris did earn that nomination and she had been a standout for, for quite some time. I do think that that is worth celebrating simply because the representation in the age in, uh, in the prosecutor's office where she worked before she became a senator, like that sort of represent that sort of representation just doesn't happen, period. 
But the reason why I'm so mixed about it from a personal standpoint is because I'm not sure that what she is signing on for in terms of being Joe Biden's running mate is anything more than getting us back to the status quo. And although the status quo hurt less nationwide, it wasn't sustainable. And it wasn't really something that properly represented all the underrepresented people of this country. So while I'm happy that there is some representation there, I'm not going to act like, oh, well, representation doesn't matter. No, it, it actually totally does. Because someone down the line could see that and use it as an opportunity to take the next big step forward. But as far as what that means for this particular ticket, their particular platform, it's not something that engenders me with, with much excitement. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure what the answer would be to that. Because like, I know that there, there have been a lot of mixed emotions. Uh, whether it be based on her record uh, or whether it just be just the excitement that it is happening to see a black woman in that position to potentially be vice president. The only thing about it that I find interesting is like, I, I have a hard time believing that Joe Biden, if he wins is more than a one term president. Like, I don't think he's going to run for reelection. That so, would be, I think that's the best case scenario. Because, I mean, I, I think for him, it's always just been about being the guy who beats Donald Trump and gets the country back is sort of the way he's been running his campaign, which in that case, the fact that he picked Kamala feels a little more to me, just like monumental in this from the vantage point of it sets the table for her to be the presidential nominee in four years if joe biden was to win and that feels like a major foundational moment plus let's you know joe's pretty old (laughs) pretty old dude so like Um, she's it's something you gotta pay account she's one health crisis away from being the president if joe is to win so it feels big to me in that nature but it feels a little bigger just from the standpoint of this feels like everyone's going into it knowing that it means she's next for the Democratic ticket. If he's which, going to be a one-termer, because that's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed, but I just, I, I am saying that my personal speculation is that everyone's sort of going into it with an implicit knowledge of like, that's what it is. Joe isn't trying to do this for eight years. And I think... That if that's how it goes down, that would be very, very interesting. And I think that's something worth actually taking a look at. Because I think if you're really willing to be the bridge and only do it one time, I actually got a lot of respect for you. Because once you get a taste of power, I I don't know everything that any president of the United States would have to walk in with. Like maybe the burden isn't worth having your name on every bill. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But what I do know is that having a taste of power is very difficult to give up. So if you're will, if you're walking in saying, I'm going to do this for four years and get out, I actually have 
a, a, a higher modicum of respect for you. The only thing I'll say to that is he was the vice president of the United States for eight years, and he would have won the presidential nomination four years ago if he wanted it over Hillary Clinton. And he didn't want it. He didn't really want to be in that mold. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in believing when he says what brought him back was Trump. And I think he believes he is the person who can beat Trump. And therefore it makes it something that he has to do because he needs to be the one to beat Trump to get that guy out. And that's why I, you know, I'm speculating. I could be totally right. wrong, but I just believe sort of in my heart that this has never been, I think this is to Joe more about being the one who beat Donald Trump and took it back from what it's become. I think he cares more about being the one who restores honor, shall we say, <laughs> to the position uh, and I think that's more important to him than actually leaving some sort of legitimate legacy that he personally believes in. Like, I think he's willing to let people shape his legacy for him. He just cares about getting Trump out of it. I'll say two things in response to that and then, and then hang it up. The first thing I'll say is the United States position in the world. It really needs to be reexamined. It really needs to be reexamined because of the fact that when you as a country have the most resources, you you have a lot of friendly relationships, at least until 2016, with other countries in the world. And you hold yourself up to be this not just this material superpower, but this moral superpower. You have to figure out what what's going on in your own backyard. You have to take the time to see not just you're not just mitigating the damage of the last four years. You are trying to see how life can be more equal for everybody else on this in this country. The second and the final thing I'll say about this is. This this rallying cry feels very similar to what happened in 2016. And you lost 2016. Like, let's make that totally clear. The establishment's biggest problem to this point is that they want to make it a big good versus evil battle. That only works if you have no skeletons in your closet. That only works if everyone is in agreement that you have more times than not been on the right side of history. In this decade alone, that has not been the case. In the past decade alone, I should say, since it's 2020. So it might actually help if one of the words that was said, that said in the convention or even down the line is, we blew this. We don't often hear that during campaigns. There isn't really an ownership because they're scared of, well, scaring people off. But after four years of this, you want to, quote unquote, win the country back? Keep it a buck. Tell people, listen, I was on this side of the bill or I was on the side of this legislation or what have you. And guess what? 
we and I inflicted hurt or we were behind something that wasn't really for us. And we we are going to work to make that better. And here's how we're going to do that. Because a lot of what I'm seeing instead is you better voter. It's going to happen again. You better voter. It's going to happen again. Well, um, a lot of stuff is still not going to change when the administration switches hands. So. And that's not to say there isn't a huge amount of stuff that isn't going to change. But you're looking at, in our age bracket alone, you're looking at student loans, looking at a whole bunch of other stuff. Where people just sit around and say, where people, guess what? We all have computers in our pockets. So we all can do some research. And for those of us who have gone to school or at the very least have a clue and are not brainwashed, can line up history with history and go, you promised this before, we're still here. You promised this before, we'll still here. So now you're going to tell us vote for you or else? <laughs> People will take you up on that and, and take their chances with what else. So I think it's very important that if you are the establishment and you think you have this momentum, you have this big lead, Take some accountability. You would be surprised at how far you go. And that's me getting off my soapbox. It'll all be interesting to see over the next couple months. But what do you got for me? Oh, the only thing I've got for you along those lines is this. How many times were you mistaken for a poli-sci major? In my life? Yes. Like not once. Never? No. So. Okay, come on. are, Are you saying like people ask when I go to GW, what did I major in or something like that? I mean, how many times, bingo, this is a better way to ask this question. How many times when a political conversation came up, did you feel like the moment you opened your mouth, the whole of a bunch of people's attention shifted to what you were about to say as if you had something mind blowing to say. Let's say you were in a group with two kids from Elliot and one kid who interned on the hill for like a summer how many times in that conversation did you feel like okay i have something to say here because the three y'all have no clue what's going on like honestly never wow i uh i anybody who knows me and has known me for more than five minutes will quickly figure out i'm about sports and not much else. <laughs> like I doesn't mean I don't talk politics with my wife. Doesn't mean I don't talk politics with my parents or something like that. But just like in general conversation, I don't think anybody is mixing me up for the poli sci major mm. because I am way quicker to give a hot take about how Giannis is overrated. Than I am to have like legitimate thoughts on. Well, I have legitimate thoughts on politics, but like I just <laughs> I'm just not gonna do that with most people. So like no, no, like I'll I'll definitely get the question. The number of people who, if I say I live in D.C., who are not from D.C., will immediately like ask if I work like for a lobby or for government or something like that. 
that is a high percentage thing. Like if I'm if I'm golfing somewhere and oh, you know people golf. ask me like where where do you live and I say I live in Arlington. Well, I used to say I live in Arlington. Now I'll say I live in D.C. Like everybody's gonna ask like oh do you work for a congressman? Do you work for such and such? And it's like yeah no I just talk, I just do sports radio. I'm like pretty <laughs> pretty not involved in any of that. So that is a common question. But as far as like the, if I brought up, I went to GW or like around GW, I don't think anybody was confusing me with some political wizard out here. Okay. Okay. I'll back off that make that's so interesting though, because we are, we are a show that sort of tackles how all of these things intertwine. So, like you pitched it to me, as a matter of fact, why? Why what? Well, here's the thing. So, I feel like we repeat ourselves a lot on here, but that's what you get when you get episodes. So sure. when um we had not we had sort of talked on and off since um since after our time at GW, and. Brian actually hit me up one day. I want to say it was in 2016. He said, hey, listen, let's do a show talking about race and sports. And I'm going, wait, huh? wait, what, 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 what? Because mind you, at the time, that sort of conversation wasn't as common, even as it is now. Did we miss a window? You can say whatever you want. Maybe. But. It's true. I get yelled at this for I get yelled at this for all the time. Like anytime Emma hears some new show popping up, like what ESPN's got the intersection now. Uh, well, they're like not their well, show. Well, they're well then well they're not our age, so I think that's yes. one thing. We, that's one thing. We she was just she, like I instantly got yelled at. <laughs> like, why are people doing your show? I'm like, it's not our show. Other people do it. Like we didn't come up with the idea. I will say I am. Learning. We were just early adopters. Yeah, we were early adopters. And we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the savvy. I think I have tended to believe that sometimes timing wise, things manage to work out the way they're supposed to. And for the record, I am learning that getting yelled at in relationships is unfortunately <laughs> common. But please, please continue. Well, no. So if you're asking me, like, why did I want to do the show in the first place? Like the, yeah. that first conversation between us. Like, if I remember the details correctly, we had always sort of mentioned back and forth, like whenever we saw opportunities popping up in the industry, uh, you know, we would sporadically let each other know, like if we saw something. But I think in my mind, I sort of is I just saw like the growth of podcasting happening. I just figured we would probably do a project at some point together. And I feel like the original phone call that sort of started it all, though, was just like I remember calling after the Philando Castile shooting Mm. and just like checking in because there was like it's I have had the privilege, the white privilege of ignorance for the majority of my life. And there was something like it started to happen a little bit more frequently, or at least it felt like it was happening more frequently because it was getting more coverage. And there was just something about like the fact that it was a Facebook live video that 
I forget if it was his girlfriend or fiance mm-hmm. was taking in the car with him. It just struck such an extra chord in that moment where it's just like, I realized I was feeling a pain that I maybe hadn't felt as much before in that moment. And I just like, I called a few people and I was like, cause I imagine if, if I'm feeling this right now, like I must have missed something that they feel regularly. So like that, that was just sort of the impetus. And it was just, we started to talk a little more cause I checked in a couple more times after that. And it was just like, Hey, you know, I've had, I've always figured we were new a project again. Like this seems like a project we could do right now. That might be Almost of value. Yeah. I remember that. Cause you were the only, I think you and two other people were the only ones who checked up on me. Like the only ones so much for having a bunch of white friends. Right? <laughs> well, I think it's something that like, I think it's something that white people are learning right now. And, you know, like, just, like I said just now, like, part of the privilege is that these things don't show up at your front door. And as much as it's easy to say now in 2020 that, like, hey, you should have known, like, why wasn't this at the forefront of your mind? Like, life is relative. And... You know, a lot of us don't see past what's right in front of our faces and what's part of our daily lives. And so, like, there was just something about that that was so gripping. And like I just said, like, there was something I felt. Like, there was a deep pain inside myself that I had never felt quite that way before. Like, I had seen... I guess that's not true. I think Eric Garner was also one of those moments too. Uh, but just like there hadn't been as much video of it. And to see that video the way it was, like it was, I personally consider it like a transformational moment in my life. And it was something that just led me in my position to feel like I haven't thought about these things enough. Like, I shouldn't say I've let them happen because, like, my ass wasn't in Minnesota. Like, what was I going to do about what happened on that street that day? But, like, I haven't thought about them enough. And I haven't thought about how they impact people. And so, you know, that was just a changing moment. And that's what that's what brought us to this. And here's why that's so important. And... You know, I feel like sometimes when these conversations happen, right, like white people want their kudos so bad sometimes because it's like you want proof that you're one of the good ones. You know, you want proof that you never said anything bad or that you never intentionally made somebody feel a way and, and whatnot. Um, you You put the effort in. And I think that is. That matters a lot. And what I think sometimes gets missed these days is that, you know, everybody wants a checklist, right? Everybody wants to make sure they do everything perfectly. 
that they never mess up, that, you know, you know, all these different things. But if you put the effort in, that means you care. And I think that matters a lot. So I'm grateful to you for that. But I also want to issue a challenge. If you're if you're white, you're listening to this and you think that, well, if you if you find yourself stuck in the pride of saying, well, I didn't do this, you know, I, I, I don't know what you want me to do. I promise you. Do a little bit more than just the cursory check in. Follow up all these supposed non-white friends you say you have. Actually converse with them. Don't just be a voyeur to their experience to watch them yell, watch them cry, watch them be angry. Don't just volunteer yourself to be uh, someone to vent at. You know what I'm saying? Like actually do your best to take part in this experience. And understand that you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt right away. And unfortunately, America has robbed that of you. Because if, if you were if you were cognizant of how much whiteness in America actually took away from you, you'd be as mad as everybody else is. Because you don't have like you can't walk in and be naive anymore. That doesn't exist for you. And I think that's still slightly better than the fear of getting pulled over, whether it's routine or not, and still have your hands shaking. The other coin of that, I would just also say is though, like people, at least from my perspective, people need to not be worried about being perfect. Cause like some of the way we learn is by making mistakes. Like sometimes the best I think people can do is approach with good intent while being true to themselves and true to who you are. And you might say something insensitive and somebody might put you in your place and you might not like that. But I'd rather that moment happen because it's real and it's a learning experience, then like find the checklist of how to skirt around the edges, but then you don't ever, ever dive into it and like get that real learning experience. Cause like I have made mistakes. Like that's the biggest thing. Like you're praising me, but like I'm sure I did shit as a teenager that like you wouldn't appreciate. Oh, yeah. And that I said, I've, I've resigned myself to that. Right. And like, that's okay. I'm sure, I'm sure that I had attitudes towards going to, you know, the Bridgeport city school that wouldn't have been appreciated, but like, that's part of experience being relative and where I'm asking for people to be truthful and be true to themselves. Like it doesn't hurt to say I've, messed up before like it doesn't it doesn't make me lose faith in my own character to say that i've fallen victims to stereotypes and like we talked about in the past that i've used terminology that like is subtly racist like you know a bad neighborhood is like a term i grew up around and a term i used for certain places that often were primarily of color and just impoverished and like the key is 
just recognizing that like, oh, I learned something that probably just had more to do with conditions of life than anything to do with race. So don't ever let that connection pop into your head as one that is like, well, that has something to do with that. Like that, that's purely just a function of poverty and poverty has often often been a function of systemic racism. So like just connect the dots. And once you connect the dots, you can tell yourself and recognize within yourself like, Oh, I messed up on that one. Like I was wrong to, use that phrase or have that thought because like I had no basis of what the reality is that was defining that I was just accepting a stereotype that I'd heard so like don't be afraid to make mistakes people that's part of the game we learn from mistakes if you just go into it with a good heart and you have a faith of who you want to be and that if you if you have true values that you believe in and you stick to those values you're probably going to come out on the right side of things just make sure you're doing the work you know because especially since we live in an age where information is readily accessible i think it's fair if you ask your your friends black, brown, and otherwise, then yeah, you can definitely ask them a few questions. If that goes into making them your encyclopedia on everything, when, like I mentioned before, the internet is right there. Yeah, you you have to figure out why you're doing this. Are you doing this because you don't want to be racist? Or like Brian said, are you doing this because you want to examine your heart and you want to make a difference? That choice is really up to you. That's usually America's favorite segment. Bet you didn't think we were going to go that deep, but you never know what you sign up for. Did we think we were going to go that deep? I don't think we knew we were going to go. I didn't that think deep. we were going to go that deep. We caught got a little <laughs> off guard there. But what happened? I think we have lived up to the standard and quite frankly like when we talk about these sorts of things right it's so important i think for us to sort of make clear to y'all that we really this wasn't just like a black dude hitting up a white dude or a white dude and a black dude like hey let's talk grades and sports We're like okay like this is this was a friendship that really brewed from from college back when sometimes we would see each other maybe once a week at department meetings, then sort of have like laughs in between. And then, you know, usually college friends sort of get together and fall off. But this one is actually, but this friendship that is has stuck around for a while. Some I'm personally very happy about and proud of. And it means we have the liberty to go off the cuff and make it work. You know what I'm else always studying your no, no, face no. when you we first. do this though. Excuse me, um, you first. I'm always studying your face. I'm like, am I am I about to piss him off right here? Like how? <laughs> I'm always just like, am I going to say that one thing that's just like a bridge too far? Where he's like, wait, wait, you're <laughs> overstepping this time. 
at see at least though i could check you on air and we'll be okay we'll live through it exactly plus if you check me too hard i might start stuttering i don't I, oh we'll, 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 that's that's we'll have to see oh we'll have to see if i start stuttering when i get put under the gun oh or if i can stand up to it strong and use my own words huh, well if you use your own words we're both wordsmiths we'll figure it out but you know what else requires words that's right you got an episode full of them last week we'll give you these awards live and in person etc etc so brian we already got the first quarter out of the way because technically we went 12 episodes before we did there something like that something like that that feels like a good cycle to me maybe we'll keep it that way who knows who cares what's the first award man yeah we got we got double dose for you today because we 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 didn't actually have a typical show last week so i guess i'm gonna keep it in line with where we just were since we were talking about race a bit uh have you seen this story well first let me i should put things in context you know how when you're on your phone and uh, you just want to let off like a F-bomb and a text? Yes. And normally it will autocorrect to duck. <laughs> yes. So like before you'll hit send and then you'll realize that it says like, man, that duck and hate sucks. the red socks. Uh, or that. <laughs> Something like that. Right. I know where you're going. Don't let me go. Well, let's go. Well, everybody knows what it's like the first time they send a duck you to somebody. They're like, oh, man, I didn't. That's not going to really give off the tone I was trying to give off. Well, cell phone mishaps can be quite a dangerous thing. And the Charlotte Hornets radio announcer is in a bit of hot water right now. He has been indefinitely suspended by the team due to something that he tweeted. Monday afternoon, it was the first game of the NBA playoffs. The Denver Nuggets were playing the Utah Jazz. It was a thrilling game. Donovan Mitchell was going off for 57 points. I think Jamal Murray had something like 35 uh, and he was typing about the game, writing about the game, just putting off an excitable tweet. Only there was one problem. Oh, boy. Instead of saying the shot making in this Jazz Nuggets game, it said the shot making in this Jazz blank N-words game is incredible. He was promptly, promptly and definitely suspended by the team for using the N-word in a tweet. Uh, he has since, he pretty quickly posted an apology. Uh, let's see. I think he said something along the lines of, I just had it up and now I've lost it. And I'm going to have to pull this up because I don't want to, I don't want to use his words without getting them right. All right, here, here's what he then later tweeted in his apology tweet. Earlier today, I made a horrific error while attempting to tweet about the Denver-Utah game. I don't know how I mistyped. I had and have no intention of ever using that word. 
I take full responsibility for my actions. I have been sick to my stomach about it ever since. I'm truly sorry that this happened, and I apologize to those I offended. So before we get into the actual back and forth about this, let me just quickly get the award out of the way. <laughs> the Duck You Award of the Week <laughs> for Cell Phone Mishap goes to Charlotte Hornets radio play-by-play man, John Falk. Oh, my gosh. Now, the part where I need to bring you in for is I am like back and forth over and over again between trying to give him the benefit of the doubt that it was like an honest mistake and just like there's no way that could have been an honest mistake. Like I've done all the analysis from looking (laughs) like for real. I've like looked at the iPhone keyboard And I've been like, well, so the only difference between the word nuggets and blank N-words is the U where the I would go and the T where the R would go. (laughs) And on the keyboard, the I is next to the U and the R is next to the T. (laughs) So like a CSI investigation of this thing has made me say to myself, if this this could be possible, right? So okay, so why don't you actually try to type in N I G G E R and see if it autocorrects at this point? So I'm that's curious. the thing. I did that next, and and it was not an ex like it was something that was autocorrected for. How about and it that? came out like biggers. How about that? Isn't even a word. How about that? <laughs> but that's the other part of it. Like, I think of all the things that my phone will auto. So he said it wasn't an autocorrect. He said that he just mistyped it. But that's where the part that doesn't give the benefit of the doubt is like, I don't think it would accept that word unless you type it regularly enough. That it has become like considered. So like I could be wrong. Maybe some people's phones will let them type that word. So I am going to refer back to one Donald Glover, who as a stand-up comedian does not get the respect he deserves. He put out one stand-up special called Weirdo, one of my personal favorites. And granted, this is from about nine, ten years ago. But he literally does a joke about how the iPhone autocorrect every time he tried to type N-I-G-G-A. And they would correct that to niggardly. I don't even know what that word means. I don't even know what it means. And it's spelled N-I-G-G-A-R-D-L-Y. I'm going to look it up right now. What? I mean, I think mean? I know what that means. I think it's like a super racist. It's like even more racist, I feel like, because it's like a description of behavior. It is. It says not generous, stingy. Oh, you know, my it's, it, goodness. No, it's worse. So I don't really know how that art. Wow. Okay. That's oh a fun fact gosh. that I've never known. But yeah, I. I like. 
the part that's like making me want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt is that until this year, he had been the Minnesota Lynx uh, television broadcaster, I want to say. And like for the Lynx to be as up on the cause as they are, I imagine he has relationships. Like I imagine I have a feeling that I shouldn't just throw this guy under the bus in my own head. But man, it's hard to give the benefit of the doubt when I don't when I don't think that like it would be possible to type that. I mean, if you typed that word right now, would it let you? Let's find out. I will literally I will literally do play by play for this one. Fine. So I'm typing in N I G G E R S. It did not autocorrect. It did not autocorrect. It so it went through. Not, it went through. Okay, so then maybe he deserves the benefit of the doubt here. I might have to rescind my like award on 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 live podcast. He didn't do the yo. Come on, man. Come on. But at the very least, he is getting the Duck You Award of the Week. It's for the award still fits, bro. For cell phone it. mismanagement, because at the very least, you got to proofread. Like my God, bro. But uh, for real, I'm like going to be so careful every time I type the word nuggets ever again. <laughs> like, I, like I'm shook. I'm well, shook by what happened here. For the record, I'm going to type nuggets right now. N-U-G-G-E-T-S. So he said it, it wasn't. It does an, not autocorrect to that. He said it wasn't an autocorrect issue. He what? said he must have mistyped, which is, it, it's. I feel like it's plausible because of the placement between IU and RT. I feel like it's plausible, but I'm just so, it seems too. This so, one has me just, I, I don't, I've, I've gone back and forth on this one a million times. So this white man has day. to tell me how often he says. That's what I want to know right now, because if it's real, if it's in his apology, how, he how says often never. How do you use it? In is in his apology, he says I had and have no attention to ever use that word. So, oh brother, oh man, oh brother. And for it, the record, this is a social media controversy that needs a, uh, a FBI investigation. Oh brother, the oh. team is investigating this matter. <laughs> All I will say is this. It is unfortunately very plausible for somebody to hide in the wings of a very welcoming organization and have it just pop out and just surprise everybody. Like it's it's unfortunate, but it doesn't surprise me as much as it probably could have, should have. I, I don't know. You got to get me with what's your first. Have you seen the movie Friday? So I have my recollection of the movie is probably not going to be the finest. Certain references I will get. How about the line, you ain't got to lie, Craig? Okay, yes. Okay. Yes, that's, that, is, that is up on the reference list. And that is a very funny way to look at a very unfunny situation because if you recall last year's NBA finals, it should have been a very momentous occasion. Why? Because the Toronto Raptors were the first ever NBA team to win the NBA title. And right after that, yes, right after that, 
There was a shoving match involving Masai Ujiri and one Alan Strickland. Now, Alan Strickland is a sheriff's deputy for the San Francisco Bay Area. And you might have caught a clip of this when Kyle Lowry mercifully hopped in and pulled Masai away from Alan Strickland. Right before things could have got even uglier. Now, earlier this week, it just came out that Strickland filed a suit in February that alleged that Raptors president Masai Ujiri assaulted him in the moments after Toronto won. And according to the statement, he, quote, suffered injury to his body, health, strength, activity, and person, all of which have caused and continue to cause plaintiff great mental, emotional, psychological, physical, and nervous pain and suffering. Now, everyone saw the full clip then. As Masai Ujiri filed a countersuit, Strickland's body camera footage hit the net. And it is very obvious to see that all three shoves came from the cop. To think that there could have been a tragedy in that arena caused by somebody who wanted to be the bigger man when the moment had literally nothing to do with him. And if that can happen to the president of an NBA franchise, when black people all across this country talk about run-ins with the police, this is, an, this is a clear-cut example of how these things do not go away. And for all of the, oh my goodness, I can't believe that happened. There are some people who still fix their face and say, oh, well, and try to qualify it. I shockingly actually saw a couple of those. And I'm just, and I don't have it in me anymore to fight those things because I'm just going to end up cussing you out, especially when the evidence is right there. And we just talked about cussing on this show. So. The You Ain't Gotta Lie Craig Award goes to Alan Strickland. F*** you. So I got to be honest with you, though. Like, he's got... Masai needs to, like, know he's got to have his badge, like, around his neck and out so that that situation doesn't happen, like, right? You're... you're, you're we're not doing this now, are we? Really? <laughs> okay. As long uh, as you know uh, I'm f***ing uh, with you. <laughs> okay. Cause boy, it, it was about we 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 had this whole deep thing, and you about to no, don't do that to me. <laughs> don't do that. To yeah, me. no, this is stupid. The funniest part about this: Have you seen the wife's uh, lawsuit? What uh, the what Strickland's wife uh, put in the lawsuit? Claims. I know you lie. What she put in? What she put in? She said something to the extent of the injury that was caused to her husband will not allow her to enjoy her husband 
to the full extent of which she used to be able to or something like that. It's like, dude, he's did fine. Just, did she just make a sex argument? I don't think it was a sex argument. I think it was uh, just literally any idiocy they could pile into the lawsuit to try and make it sound as bad as possible but it's like because if it was i was about to take my headset off and say i'm going home like what, what? Masai throws one shove after getting shoved twice and it's into the dude's chest like what do you mean you got punched in the face nobody punched you at all like... nobody punched you in the sheriff's office is standing behind the account of course they are that's what they do but that's the thing like what is the craziest about all of this right now (laughs) i try to be one of the people who like sympathizes with the difficulty of the job that police have in this country. I don't want to be the type of person who sits behind a freaking mixing board, you know, producing NBA games and talks like I would know how to be a police officer. Cause like that, that's not my place. And I do believe that there are plenty of people who go into the police force with the right intentions and everything like this. But you guys are making it so damn hard <laughs> to defend you. <laughs> you make it so damn hard. Every time I see you pop on your siren lights to blow through a red light and then turn them right off as soon as you get the red, through the red light. <laughs> Every time I see you drive by me doing like 50 and a 25. Every time you run a stop sign, every time you defend Alan Strickland's account of a lawsuit when we have body cam footage that shows he was never punched in the face and say that his account is accurate and that Masai Ujiri was the aggressor, you make it really hard. Hmm. How about all that? And that's not even to get into the more serious stuff that we've been dealing with and talking about over the last three months. So like help me help you. (laughs) Oh, they don't need no help. They got their unions. They got (sighs) some type of clock. I don't, I don't even know, but they don't need no more help. God God bless your open-mindedness, but they don't need no help. Goodness gracious, they really man. Don't need it. Go to the second one before we spend another 20 minutes rambling about it. All right. This one, this one's going to be less serious. We all remember the uh, hashtag after Donald Trump became the 45th president of the United States that went around saying, not my president. Oh, here we go. A lot of people, including myself, weren't too proud of the occupant. Somehow, we're less proud now. (laughs) Damn. The other hashtag that sort of went viral around the same time was, that's my president, talking about that beautiful number 44. (laughs) Barack Obama. Oh, boy. Where are you going? Well, I've got a new candidate for that's my president. 
And it's two-headed because both of them deserve equal uh, credit. I'm giving the That's My President Award of the Week to both Michelle Roberts, the president of the NBA Players Association, and Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA. And here's why. This country has nearly 175,000 people by now who have died due to coronavirus. It is an unspeakable tragedy that has afflicted far too many families and is going to keep afflicting families across this country for a while now because we are nowhere close to being out of this thing. Other countries around the world, at least other developed countries, shall I say, are not having the problems that we are having because they had leadership that dealt with it, that did such things as enforced stay-at-home orders, enforced lockdowns, ramped up testing in their countries to make sure that they could appropriately contact Trace and get the curve figured out and get back ahead of the virus. That hasn't happened in this country in large part because from the very get-go, our president didn't want testing to become widespread because testing would make the numbers worse. And it's because we have had leadership from the president running down onto governors that have wanted to reopen the country to get the economy running without ever actually dealing with the virus. But this week, the federal drug and uh, the FDA, Federal Drug Administration, approved of a COVID-19 saliva test that was uh, researched and developed by Yale University in conjunction with part funding from the NBA. Ooh. It is the test that they have been using in the Orlando bubble to make sure that they turn around results within a day. It is a test that has now been proven effective enough for the FDA to approve it. And it is a test that Yale and the NBA both say they expect health labs to only have to charge $10 per sample. So, in other words, Yale University in a joint venture with the NBA that the NBA and the Players Association are partly responsible for funding to make sure that they could find a test that would keep their players safe in the bubble did a good enough job to figure out a test that the rest of the country is now going to be able to use it soon, and they're going to be able to afford it. Mm-mm-mm. In other words, the NBA and Yale University with this research have likely done more to help the fight against coronavirus than our actual president of the United States. And therefore, the That's My President Award goes to both Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver. And if I knew who the people were at Yale... They could get in there too. Four thumbs up. I'm going to act like I have four hands because that's a great reference. That is a fantastic reference. It's crazy what real leadership can do, right? Shocker. Real leadership that seeks solutions instead of 
whatever's going to make your poll numbers the best and not make you look the worst. Crazy. I reiterate, shocker. Which is why I consider it so unfortunate that I'm going to follow up your award, my final award, with such drivel. Um, (laughs) As someone who follows and works with... I love the word drivel. (laughs) Them SAT words, they, they hit sometimes, man. I tell you. I tell you. Or maybe it's too much Charles Dickens. I'm, I'm getting off the point. I'm going to assume you play 2K at least a little bit, or you haven't played in a while. It's been a long time. I haven't had video games in my life in a long time. And I'm going to guess there was at least one point in your life where you just broke the controller. Uh, so I'm not going to let you pin that on me. I'm too cool. I'm too, too just, you know, roll with the punches for that. I'm a flat line. Have I seen people break the controller after I wetted threes on them? Yes, I have seen that happen. <laughs> all right. Well, all my controllers breaking mostly came from MLB games because I was tired of swinging at pitches in the dirt. But the reason why we bring up the rage quit is simply <laughs> because... We started off talking about Fernando Tatis Jr. We'll end oh boy. today talking with Fernando Tatis Jr. Reason being that both of these managers were so whiny about it. According to Rangers manager and former Major League player Chris Woodward, here's what he said about Tatis's decision to swing away. Quote, There's a lot of unwritten rules that are constantly being challenged in today's game. I didn't like it personally. You're up by seven in the eighth inning. It's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. It's kind of the way we were all raised in the game. But like I said, norms are being challenged on a daily basis. So just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not right. You're up by seven in the eighth inning. So in other words... Goodness gracious. It's typically not a good time to swing 3-0. Would you prefer he does it when he's down by seven runs? Jump in the Gulf of Mexico. J.C. Tingler, or is it Jace? I don't know. I'm not going to pronounce his name right because he didn't even support his own player. He doesn't deserve his name to be Are pronounced you kidding right. Me? He's young, a free spirit focused in all those things. That's the last thing we'll ever take away. It's a learning opportunity and that's it. He'll grow from it. Just so you know, a lot of our guys have the green light 3-0. But in this game in particular, we had a bit of a comfortable lead. We're not trying to run up the score or anything like that. Bro, you're professionals! Are you kidding me? Y'all get paid for this. Whose feelings are you trying to save? What are you talking about? And it's amazing that I am more fired up about this when I'm going to give them the 2K Rage Quit Award because this is just stupid. And you say, oh, that's the last thing we'll ever take away. You're criticizing your player for literally adding to your lead. I just, man, 
And the irony of me being so fired up, like I said before, is that the, the logic that they use here to demean Fernando Tatis Jr. makes just as much sense as someone throwing their controller at the wall because they're down by a lot. It makes as much sense as restarting the controller, rather restarting the whole console when you're down by 15 because the computer is on a roll, made a fadeaway jumper, you throw your controller, say, this is fake, I hate it. No, forget it, get me out of here. The lack of logic. Forget unwritten rules for a second. Just, if you want to defend your players, Why don't you tell reporters that, hey, the guy who gave up the Grand Slam, when his arm gets better, he's going to go watch tape. He's going to go sit with the pitching coach. And if you're your own manager, shut up! He added four runs to your lead. Why would you even think it's appropriate to say anything other than, whoo, that's the second home run of the day. That's what's up, kid. And then if someone says, oh, well, you're up by seven. It's like, well, game's not over. Literally what anybody else with a brain should say. Like, this just annoys me, man. Because it's like, I think back. It feels to me like the Rangers are just a whiny organization. Because under a different manager, remember when Jose Bautista hit that big home run in Toronto? Game five of the ALDS. Same thing happened then. Everybody's crying. Sam Dyson gives up when they had the lead, mind you. Gives up the eventual game-winning three-run home run. Talking about, oh, well, you know, he didn't have to flip his bat. You know, you you just, just keep on going. He had a home run to give his team the lead at home. The biggest game that the Rogers Center has seen since Joe Carter won the World Series back in 1993. I guess even with new regimes, old habits die hard. Because y'all whine too much. I mean, I'll give Texas a pass for what happened in the ALDS, because if I remember, there was a lot of controversy in that inning leading up to the Batista home run with a couple calls. And stuff like that. So, like, you just got they made errors. At, no, stop it. They made errors that inning. No, don't, don't do that. You got knocked out of the season, whatever. You're emotional, but like, you're whining because you lost a regular season game. You were already going to yeah. lose, and you gave up a grand. So, like, come on. I've already said what I got to say about that, though. Yeah, I'm, all I, I learned is I'm not playing video games with you. <laughs> like, I've, if I'm, I've graduated from that, though. I if promise. I'm going to win, I don't need to see a controller getting smashed. And if I lose, I'm going to take it like a man. Listen, I tr- I'm trying to tell you, I have grown from this. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. Although I have rage quit one time playing 2K. One, th- after I swore I would never play again because I had, the my, I had the my career player and I couldn't make threes. So there was a day when I needed a three to win the game. I had like gold, dead eye, silver clutch shooter, and I still didn't make the shot. Because I was slightly late. All that sort of garbage. And then I picked the release. I figured it out. Now I'm playing it. But there was one time that I, I didn't like the loss. And I just turned off the controller. And I said, forget this. I'm, I'm going to go read a book. So 
I've graduated. I'm I'm still petty. I'm still competitive, but I've graduated. I'm not breaking things. As long as you know, as long as you're gonna read a book <laughs> instead of breaking <laughs> stuff, <laughs> makes it more excusable. Uh slightly, I guess. I don't know. But hey, y'all have been on this ride with us. I'd say it went pretty well, wouldn't you? I had a good time. I'm like fading into darkness right now. Where are the lights, man? I mean, I didn't need them when there was daylight outside. Did but I, do I need to send you a ring light? No, I'll be okay. Good. I'll find them. <laughs> Take us home, man. We've done too much. Take us home. If, <laughs> if you want to find us, you can always do so on Twitter. At Brian Albin Life, also at underscore I am Unqua. That is capital I, capital A, M, capital N, K, W, A. We are also at Award Tour Pod. Give them the Instagram. Same at Award Tour Pod. And then, of course, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Google Play, Spotify, Apple. You like yourself some Anchor? Cool, because we host it there. And while you're checking us out, leave us a review. Maybe just click on that five-star button. Maybe just maybe finesse it, though. Everybody who tells you to smash the like button, don't listen to them. Don't smash five stars. Just give it a nice little gentle touch. Don't have to break your keyboard to like us. Doesn't have to work like that. Any final words until we see you next week? Um... No rage quitting this week. Please, don't be like me. Goodbye, folks. <laughs>